some advice is useless. You know, don't worry, time's a great healer. No, it isn't. At times it gets worse. Or, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Maybe, but none like the one you've just lost. Or, just be yourself. Really? That was the problem in the first place. I'm a pretty messed up and broken person. I don't like myself. And then the great classic, you need to cheer up. Now, who of us has ever replied, well, I hadn't thought of that. Thank you so much. That's my problem solved. And yet this morning we are facing a song from the Bible that seems to fit into that category of well-meaning but useless advice. It's Psalm 33. Look at how it begins. Because I want us to notice there are six challenging requirements. Six challenging requirements. Let me read from verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. You see, within these three verses are six different Hebrew words commanding us to praise God with joy and enthusiasm. And probably that's the last thing you want to hear. We're into another lockdown. You feel crushed, holding on by your fingertips. And for the parents of younger children among us, the thought of homeschooling for the next few months is almost more than you can bear. Some have lost loved ones to COVID. Their newfound loneliness will only be compounded by the government regulations. And quite possibly for you, there have been other difficult, painful and heartbreaking events ambushing you over these last few days. And to hear this command to exuberantly praise God seems like mockery. But the psalm doesn't end there. Because secondly, I want us to notice that there are five encouraging reasons. Five encouraging reasons. And you know, this is what I love about the Bible. It's so realistic, so grounded. Instead of a set of unattainable expectations, it roots its reasons in a series of timeless truths about God. And this is so different from the insubstantial, changing, frothy platitudes that society throws up. Just think about some of the stuff we've had thrown at us over the years. Back in the 70s, 1979 to be precise, Ian Dury and the Blockhead sang about reasons to be cheerful, part three. And amongst the long list were porridge oats and yellow socks. And back in the 80s, 1988 to be precise, Bobby McFerrin sang, don't worry, be happy. Actually, there were no reasons given in his song. His only antidote to various troubles was not to worry, but smile. And just a few years ago, 2013 to be precise, Pharrell Williams had a massive hit with Happy, with its gloriously infectious tune. But sadly, very empty lyrics. It's all about the irretrievable breakdown of a relationship with a girlfriend, the only one who ever made him happy. So not much wisdom here. Nothing we can turn to in all the situations you and I are going through. But when we come to Psalm 33, there are these five 
timeless reasons. The first reason given in the psalm is this, God's loving character. Let me read from verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. You see, here's a cause for praise. The living God is righteous and just. He's faithful and true. And gloriously, his love never fails. And I'm so grateful. We live in an age of the cheap and tawdry, of broken promises, of self-serving politicians, of deceitful rulers. But the psalmist reminds us that this is not God's character. What he says is true and what he promises is certain. The living God is not changeable or moody. He's not vindictive, but just. The living God overflows with love, the quality of which we only dream about in our very best moments. Second reason is God's creative power. We see that from verse six onwards. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. You see, and here the psalmist draws on what is written in Genesis about the creation of the world. God's the first cause. He's the prime mover. He just spoke the word into being. And not just this tiny corner of this tiny galaxy. He breathed out the billions of galaxies, each with their billions of stars, as simply as you would exhale. And more than that, the psalmist speaks of the seas, an age-old picture to the Jews of trouble and confusion, and says that God has them completely under control as well. Little wonder he calls upon every inhabitant of earth to honour and revere their maker. For here is infinite power in the hands of an infinitely loving God. What is there not to be grateful and full of praise about? The third reason given here is unchanging purposes. Unchanging purposes. Let me read from verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. You see, here's the heart of this psalm, the central section of this song. For in the light of God's infinite power and infinite love, the question inevitably arises. Well, how can bad stuff happen? Why am I having such a hard time? Why does it feel that God has either forgotten me or got it seriously wrong? And the answer comes over loud and clear. God has his plans and nothing and no one can overturn them. He is going to save people for his glory. He's going to make them more like Jesus. He is going to bring them safe home to his presence. And for his children, every event in life fits within that framework. There are no accidents. Nothing is meaningless. God doesn't make mistakes. He is lovingly and certainly working out his purposes all the time. The fourth reason is God's perfect knowledge. Let me read from verse 12. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the heart of all, who considers everything they do. Now, I don't know if you noticed the threefold repetition of that word all. The psalmist is keen to emphasise that the living God knows everything about every single one of us. Although he breathed galaxies into being, at the same time he knows every thought, action, feeling and emotion that you as an individual are going through. Now for some that might be a frightening and fearful thing and I'm not going to apologise if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Any more than I'd apologise if an MRI scan revealed the early stages of a cancer. I'd say it was a great thing. It exposes a problem and means something can be done about it. Indeed, if you're struggling with feelings of guilt and failure before God, then there is an answer for you that we'll speak of in a moment. But for others of us, the fact that our Heavenly Father knows exactly how we are and what we're going through is a source of the greatest comfort. When I'm struggling, the one I'd want to know about it above all others is the one who loves me unconditionally. And then the fifth reason that's given in this psalm is about God's gracious mercy. Verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. You see, just as the psalmist repeated the word all three times, he repeats here the word great three times. Actually, in this translation, you get the word size in verse 16. It's the same word in the Hebrew. And the point he's making is that for all man's strength and schemes and devices and vaccines, ultimately we can't be our own saviours. We're not strong enough. We're not able to deliver ourselves. And I hardly need to illustrate the point for you know well enough how, despite all your best intentions and efforts, you fail and let yourself down time after time. You're not the perfect parent or partner. You haven't found the peace you're searching after. You still feel lonely and isolated. But the reminder from the psalmist is that for all those who've given up on their own schemes and efforts and look to God alone, then he is their strength. He is their deliverer. So there are five encouraging reasons to praise God at all times and in all situations. Reasons that are rooted in his eternal and unchanging nature. Substantial reasons. Satisfying reasons. But then thirdly, there are four honouring responses. Six, five, four. Four honouring responses. It's in verse 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. See, there are four reasons. We wait, we rejoice, we trust, we put our hope. 
It's clear, actually, the psalmist wants us to know that the way we can experience life and peace and joy and strength in all the circumstances of life is by looking to God alone, rather than our own efforts, which are doomed to failure. For the psalmist and singers of this song, there was this anticipation of what God would do to rescue his people. And for us, this side of the cross, we can look back to the events of Easter and see there the salvation that God provides. We can see Jesus, the promised rescuer, entering time and space, living amongst us, revealing God and dying as the final and ultimate substitute and sacrifice for sin. And just as the Old Testament singers looked forward with faith to that event, we look back to its historical reality with the same faith trusting alone in what God has done for us in Christ, not looking to our own resources, not trying to deal with our guilt and emptiness on our own, but resting and trusting and confidently hoping in the work of Jesus for sinners like us. Look, as we close, allow me to say five things very briefly. First is this, this psalm is conditional. It's conditional. In other words, it's not for everyone. The key actually is in the opening line, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, because it's only the righteous who can enter into what's being said. And the only way we can be righteous is through the cross work of Jesus. You see, you may be good, you may be moral, you may be the best person on your street, you may be the most conscientious health worker within the NHS, but you're still staying through with pride and failure. You may be better than others, but you don't match up to the perfect holiness of Almighty God. You need the righteousness that is given us in Jesus. You need the covering that only he can provide. You need to come trusting in what Jesus has done for sinners like us. But then secondly, I want us to notice this psalm is relational. And the key here is in that closing line where it says, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our trust in you. You see, this is not addressed to some distant and unknowable deity. This is not about a philosophy of life. It's not about, it's all about you, the Lord. It's personal. He is the personal, knowable God. He's the one we can come to at any time, the one who delights to meet with his children, the one who promises to pursue us with goodness and love all the days of our life, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 23. Thirdly, I want us to notice that this psalm is emotional. And what I mean by that is that singing and rejoicing and playing instruments is not done with cool mental detachment. This is something that engages our hearts, that engages us at the deepest levels of our personality. There's feeling here, and there should be. When was the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the love of Jesus for you? Look, let these truths capture your whole personality and don't feel embarrassed by it. Fourthly, this psalm is corporate. Did you notice how many times the words we, our and us occurs at the conclusion of this psalm? Eight times. This is something we sing together and celebrate together and encourage one another in together. This psalm is not for individual consumption. It's for the community of believers. 
And although we may not be able to do that at the moment, face to face or even mask to mask, let's be sure to encourage others in the praise of God. In your Facebook posts or Instagram pictures or social media tweets or WhatsApp conversations, use the opportunity to point one another to Christ. Let's celebrate that God's born-again children are part of the most blessed and happy community imaginable. Let's use every chance to meet on Zoom with others to pray and study God's Word. And the last thing I want to say, the fifth thing I want to say is this. This psalm is public. And what I mean by that is that it's to be shouted, as we're told in verse 3, it's to be heard by others. For as verse 8 tells us, this good news about our great God is to be heard and responded to by all people everywhere. And it's as hurting people rejoice in their great and gracious God that others will become aware of who he is and what he has done. At such a time as this, the difference between believers and unbelievers should be clearer than ever. What a hope we have, what a saviour we serve, what a God who rules over all things. What a joy to be covered in glory and not in shame. What a power is ours to serve in the Spirit's strength. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. So let's do that right now as we sing together all over Edinburgh and in all the corners of the world where this service is heard, oh the love of my Redeemer. <laughs> 